Good morning and welcome to church today. I am so glad that you decided to tune in and join us for this online service. And the worship has already been incredible. And I'm so looking forward to jumping into God's word this morning and learning what it is he would have us learn. And if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to grab it and go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm excited about this message that I'm preaching this morning, but I'm also excited about our drive-in service next Sunday on May 31st at 10.30 a.m. at the Jesse Turner Community Center. It's going to be an amazing time together. We have some special things in store that are some surprises that I'm looking forward to, and I want to encourage you, uh, be there at Jesse Turner Community Center. Be there a little bit early, find a parking spot, and uh, I know that you'll be glad that you did, and uh, make sure that you have uh, a friendly face on and wave at everybody that you see, and uh, we're looking forward to a great time uh, together next Sunday. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 4, and I'd like to bring a message this morning that I'm calling this, Sounds Like a Plan. Does that sound like a plan today? Sounds like a plan. In fact, uh, go ahead and write that in the comments today, Sounds Like a Plan. And we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse number 13. The Bible says this, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. Everybody leave in the comments today the word vapor. He says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Today we're going to talk about this subject. Sounds like a plan. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to uh, come together online and worship you and lift high your name. God, thank you for uh, just the news that we heard this week with our president saying that church is essential. And God, we know that this is something that we have declared all along. But God, thank you that we're able to start taking some of those steps to be able to gather again soon and safely. And God, I pray that we would be a church that always wants to uh, pursue doing your will and uh, coming to find your plans for our lives. And God, I pray that you would be with this message. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say that would be beneficial for us today. And uh, God, we're, we're believing that uh, you have a special message for us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think one of the most frustrating experiences about this quarantine season is the fact that we can't make plans. It seems like whenever Katie and I have a day off, we say, what do you want to do today? And hey, where should we go today? And then we sit back and we think we can't really go anywhere or do anything. And so it's been frustrating uh, to try and make plans in this season because every time I look at the calendar, it seems like I'm just deleting things instead of adding things uh, to my calendar. Uh, I remember the show A-Team that was uh, popular several years ago. And the main character on that show, Hannibal, he had a catchphrase. And I like his catchphrase, and I think his catchphrase could be my catchphrase. His catchphrase was this, I love it when a plan comes together. How many of you at home today love that 
catchphrase. I, I, I love it when a plan comes together. I think there's something important in life about planning. I think even biblically speaking, we know that we are to plan ahead and plan for our future and be wise about the decisions that we're making now because we know that they will affect our future. Even Jesus talked about this when he was explaining the cost of discipleship to some of his followers and he was explaining what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. And when he was making this explanation, he included a little bit of insight uh, on the importance of making plans. In Luke chapter 14, verse number 28, Jesus said, for which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Jesus said, if you're going to start a construction project, you probably want to sit down first and, and figure out that you have enough money, you have enough supplies, you have enough resources uh, to be able to finish the job. Proverbs says in, tw- in chapter 21, verse number 5, the thoughts or the plans of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty only to one. So Solomon in all of his wisdom is saying, hey, there is an importance to uh, planning ahead and making sure that we, have, uh, that we are diligent when it c- comes to our planning. But here's the question that we must answer this morning when it comes to making plans. Are the plans that we are making congruent with God's plan? Are your plans in alignment with God's plans? Because it really doesn't matter if you have a great five-year plan if it's not a God-honoring five-year plan. It really doesn't matter if your schedule is jam-packed, if, if God is not honored in your jam-packed schedule. And so the question that we have to answer today as followers of Jesus is our plan in alignment with God's plan. And we come to James chapter 4, and James is teaching how we can make God-honoring decisions. James is teaching how we can uh, make plans that will glorify God. And really, this is a crash course, James chapter 4, these final few verses. They are a crash course on how we can make uh, decisions that are glorifying and pleasing to uh, God. Several uh, years ago, actually, I read this interesting article because the headline caught my attention. And the headline was this, man bathes in hot sauce and immediately questions his life's choices. Man bathes in hot sauce and immediately questions his life choices. And so I clicked on the article, and it showed this video where this man literally took all of these uh, hot peppers and and over 1,200 bottles of hot sauce, and he poured it into his bathtub, and he thought it would be a good idea to just bathe in that hot sauce. And and it got all in his ears and in his nose, and and, uh, it started burning him like crazy. Even when he washed it all off, he still had burning sensations all over his body for hours to come. And I think it's easy for us to look at that decision and say, uh, that was an unwise decision. Like, it doesn't matter how many YouTube videos you got. That was not very smart. And today, maybe you are not contemplating getting into a bathtub with a bunch of hot sauce, but maybe you do have some big decisions coming up in your life. Maybe you are praying about the next move that God would have you to make. Maybe you are contemplating and considering starting a family. Maybe you are uh, contemplating the next step in your relationship. Maybe you are considering the career that God would have for you. And, and we have these decisions uh, that are, are constantly in our lives. And so how can we make God-honoring decisions? How can we make sure that the decisions that we're making are pleasing to our Heavenly Father? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And so this morning, we're going to talk about the will of God and the plans that we make and how to make sure that our plans are in alignment with God's plans. And so this morning, I'd like to give us uh, three ways that we can make a godly decision. And so if you're taking notes this morning uh, at home or wherever you may be watching today, three ways that we can make a godly decision. Number one, seek God first in your decision-making process. Seek God first in your decision-making process. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook Live, go ahead and leave in the comments the word first because that is the key word in that statement. Seek God first in your decision-making process. Now, James is going to give an illustration here in James chapter 4, and he's going to talk about a man who comes up with a plan for his life. And I want you to see two components to this plan. First of all, this was an intelligent plan. It was an intelligent plan. Notice verse number 13. It says, go to now. Uh, That's another way of saying, hey, listen up. He's saying, hey, everybody pay attention. He says, go to now. Uh, Listen up. He says, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Uh, This was an intelligent plan. This was a good plan. This was uh, a man saying, I'm going to go to a certain city. I'm going to stay there for a certain amount of time, and I'm going to make a profit. This there was nothing wrong with that. that. That's a good plan. He was thinking ahead. It was, it was wise in some aspects. And no doubt, James was a uh, businessman. Uh, James's uh, father was uh, a carpenter or uh, a construction worker. And, and Jesus and James uh, both uh, would have been uh, in that uh, line of work. And so they would have understood uh, the importance of making a plan and the importance of, uh, of having a business strategy and going to a certain city or going to a certain village and, and working on a project and, and making a profit from that. And, and so James uh, recognized that this is an intelligent plan. This was a desirable plan. In fact, I would say that all of us would like to emulate this plan. We can can all relate to it. Uh, He says, I'm going to go to a certain city. He got to choose his own location where he wanted to live. He says today or tomorrow, he he was going to choose his own schedule. He said, I'm going to spend there a year. He got to uh, choose his own timetable. He said, I'm going to buy and sell. He was able to choose his own activities. And then he said, uh, I'm going to make a profit uh, off of this. And so he, he got to set his own salary. I think all of us w- would want that kind of, uh, of autonomy and liberty in life. I'm going to make this much, and this is my schedule, and this is what I'm going to do. And so this was, this was an intelligent plan from this man in verse 13. But here's what I want you to see today. It was an intelligent plan, but it was an insufficient plan. It was an insufficient plan. Because nowhere in verse number 13 is God mentioned. Nowhere in verse number 13 does this man go and seek counsel and and pray about his decision. Nowhere does he say, hey, hey, let's go to the pastor and let's pray about this and let's talk about this. There was no mention of God uh, in this verse. and, And he had it all figured out. But the problem in life when we have it figured out is that we have typically factored God out. That that moment when you have it all figured out is the same moment when you have factored God out. And this is what this man in verse number 13 is doing. He says, I have an intelligent plan, but his intelligent plan was an insufficient plan because he did not include God in his decision-making process. And I want to encourage you today, wherever you may be watching from, in your decision-making process, seek God first. God is not a last uh, resort to go to. We ought to seek God first in our decision-making process. I I think if there's any example that is so perfect and so profound... 
two, uh, this passage, a parallel passage, would be Ruth chapter number one. In fact, if you're watching at home today and you have a Bible nearby, I want to encourage you to turn over to Ruth chapter one. If you have a phone uh, nearby, uh, look up Ruth chapter one. I want to read a couple of verses because I believe it so perfectly portrays what James is talking about here in verse 13 about making plans but not including God in the process. And we see this taking place in Ruth chapter one. In Ruth chapter one, verse number one, it says this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now if you know what that means, that meant that this was a terrible time in history. The days when the judges ruled, there was no king in Israel, and so everybody did what everybody wanted to do. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this was a terrible time in history, and uh, the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. And so there was a famine in Bethlehem, which the irony of that is uh, Bethlehem meant the house of bread. And in the house of bread, everyone is starving to death because there is a famine in the land. And so there was a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And so there is a famine in the land, and there's this family that the Bible introduces us to in Ruth chapter number 1. Elimelech is, is the husband, he's the head of the household, and he decides to make a decision. There is no food here in Bethlehem, and so I'm going to move my family over to Moab because there's food over in Moab, and so this is an intelligent plan for me to make. We're going to go to Moab because there's food in Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, so they up and move. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And so they make this move. They go to Moab. And this move made sense on a human level. I mean, it, it made complete sense. There was food over there, and uh, it wasn't too far away. Here was the problem with this move. And here was the problem with what Elimelech was doing in his decision. The problem was Moab was no place for God's people. In fact, Moab had a nickname called God's wash pot, which essentially meant God's garbage can. It was a place filled with wickedness and idolatry and a place that God forbade his children to go to. And so God said, don't go to Moab. But here's Elimelech, and he says, man, my family needs food, so I'm going to go uh, to Moab. It was an intelligent plan, but it was an insufficient plan because he did not seek God in the decision-making process. And here's what happened. The next verse says this, and they came into the country of Moab, and he continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And so the whole reason he decided to move to Moab was so that he would survive. And what happens? He dies. And she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the woman of Moab. Uh, the name of the one was Oprah, uh, Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And so what happened? Both of his sons died. So not only does Elimelech die, but now uh, his sons die. Please hear me today, wherever you're watching. He made his decision based on economic reasons, but he did not base his decision on spiritual reasons. And I've grown up in church my whole life, and I have seen families up and move from a great spiritual environment because they wanted a bigger house or they wanted to make more money. And please hear me, God is not against you having a big, big house, and God is not against you making more money. But when your primary focus is financial gain rather than spiritual development, you're on the wrong path. And so here we see this example of Elimelech. He moves away without seeking God, and the results were disastrous. Please hear me today. If you are getting ready to make a major decision in your life, seek God first. 
Hey, uh, get some counsel. Uh, There is safety in the multitude of counselors. Go to your pastor. Ask to make an appointment. Ask to pray about this. Uh, Go to the word of God. Uh, 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 Dive into prayer and seek God first in the decision-making process. This is what the man in verse number 13 did not do. See, it doesn't matter if you have the dream job if you are spiritually bankrupt. And so we have to seek God first. Here's the second thought today, number two. We have to stop and consider the brevity of life. We have to stop and consider the brevity of life. And so we have to seek God first in the decision-making process. But then we have to stop and think about the brevity of life. And and, and James is going to tell us two things. He's going to say, hey, life is uncertain, verse number 14. If you're still with me today at home, would you drop in the comments the word amen? If you're still with me today. Verse number 14, James says this. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. And what a powerful statement to make and what a relatable statement to make for the season that we're in right now. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And uh, it seems like throughout this quarantine process, we, we've been guessing, okay, I think it's going to last this long. I think it's, I've just given up on all that. and I have no idea how long this is going to take. And I have no idea uh, about this whole process. Hey, it's never been more true than today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Life is uncertain. And that can bring with it some anxiety. It can bring with it some uh, fear that, man, what does tomorrow, we, we don't know. But I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I love that. Hey, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Hey, whatever tomorrow holds, hey, God's already in tomorrow. And I just want to remind you today that our God is still sovereign. He is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is still on the throne today. He sees it all. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. Nothing takes him by surprise. And there is nothing too hard for him. And so, yes, life is uncertain. But our God reigns sovereign and our God is in control the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46 verse number 10 declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure and so we see that that life is uncertain but also life is very short he says in verse 14 whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Uh, we, we all recognize that, that life is very short. That uh, life is but a vapor, James says. Psalm 90 verse number 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Life is short. Death is inevitable. In fact, the comedian Russell Brand, he said this, Laughter is, an ad- is addictive because of the in- inevitability of death. It gives us a temporary escape for the moment. It stops the fear of the inevitability of death. And he had one thing right. Death is inevitable. And death is something that we all face. But he was wrong on this account. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid to die because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is anchored to Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to fear death because we know that death is not the end of the road. And that death is simply a bend in the road. And that we have a home in heaven secured for us if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 4 says this. 
But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have passed away, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Our hope, our confidence is in Jesus Christ. And if your hope and confidence is in Jesus Christ, then you have the confident expectation of good and your home is secured in heaven forever. And so even though life is short, we can be confident knowing that our future is secured with Jesus. And so our future might be uncertain, but we know that when it comes to all of eternity, our future is secure in Jesus. John 5 says that we have everlasting life. We have eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Now, when we consider the brevity of life and the uncertainty of life, that will dramatically impact the decisions that we make. In fact, a good question to ask when making plans or making decisions is, how will this impact eternity? Better yet, will this matter in eternity? And so when we're making plans and when we're making decisions, we have to pause and consider the brevity of life. Will this matter in eternity? Because life is but a vapor. Now, now, if you're not careful, you'll think, well, if life is but a vapor, and if life is just a vapor, then, then what does this really matter? Life is just insignificant. It doesn't really matter. It's just here for a little time. It goes away. It doesn't matter. And to think that way would be a, a false way to think. Because even though our life is short, there is great purpose in our lives. I was reading recently about uh, a man in the 1700s who was watching uh, a pot uh, of, of water boiling. And the water started to boil and the lid of the pot kind of began uh, to rise because of the steam that was pushing it up. And he saw a little bit of steam push up that lid. And he thought, man, if that little bit of steam can push up uh, that pot, uh, then I bet it can move, move other things as well. And, and so uh, he started to experiment and he started to research things. Things And that little idea sparked uh, what would now we know as the steam engine, which essentially ushered in the modern era. He said, man, a little bit of steam harness can accomplish great good. And I think it's interesting because the word vapor in verse 14 is the Greek word atmos, and it means this, steam. Hey, you might think that life is a vapor. It doesn't really matter. But God can take a little bit of steam. God can take a little bit of vapor and do something incredible with your life. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you are watching from today, that God has a great purpose for your life. And God has a great plan for your life. And so never for a moment think that you are insignificant or that you don't matter. Yes, life is a vapor. Life is short. But God can do something incredible with the time that he has given you. And so we have to stop and consider the brevity of life, will this matter in all of eternity? First Peter 2.9 says this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, God has big, big plans for us. This brings us to our third thought today, and we'll be done this morning. If we are going to make godly decisions, we have to seek God first in the decision-making process. We have to stop and consider the brevity of life, but I want you to see thirdly today, we have to surrender our will to God's will. And this is the third thought today, surrender your will to God's will. It says this in verse number 15, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, 
you shall live and do this or that. So James brings it back home and he says, this is what you ought to be saying. If the Lord will, if this is God's will, you need to surrender your will to God's will and align your will with God's will. Jesus is the ultimate example of this in Luke chapter 22, verse number 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I wonder today, could you pray the same thing? Could you say, Father, not not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, it's not about what I want to do, whatever you want to do with my life. And so we see this perfect example of surrender in the garden. But, you know, we also see an example of stubbornness in the garden. Because remember Peter, when he was in the garden, and uh, there was Malchus that came, and Peter had that sword, and he, he chopped off the ear of Malchus, and Jesus healed his ear. And you ever thought about that story? Like, why did Peter even have a sword in the first place? Peter wasn't a, a fighter. He was, Peter was not a, a soldier. He was a fisherman. Why did Peter bring a sword with him to the garden? Because Peter wasn't willing to surrender. Peter wanted to put up a fight, and that's almost admirable. We, we almost think, man, that, if I was there, I would want to be like, Peter, I want to put up a fight. Hey, don't touch Jesus. Don't take Jesus. But Jesus already told Peter, hey, I have to go to the cross. Jesus already told Peter I would be betrayed. And see, Peter wanted to put up a fight, but Jesus was teaching Peter in this moment not how to fight, but how to have faith. And so often in life, we want to put up a fight when God wants us to surrender and to have faith. And so this morning, we have to, we have to come to the end of ourselves and say, it's not about my will, but it's about God's will. And if, if we're going to do this, uh, there has to be some steps that we take, three steps. First, we have to change our vocabulary. Notice verse 15. He says this, For that ye ought to say, for that ye ought to say, this is how you should be speaking. You, you should change your vocabulary. For that ye ought to say, uh, if it's the Lord's will, we're going to do this or do that. Uh, have you noticed the last couple of months that we have completely changed our vocabulary as a human society? I mean, we're saying things now that, uh, that we would have never said before. We're talking about social distancing we're talking about essential workers. We're talking about flattening the curve. We've added all of these phrases and words to our vocabulary, right? Now we say things like, hey, I'll see you on Zoom. If someone would have told me, you know, three months ago, hey, I'll see you on Zoom, I would have said, I'm, I'm not about that life. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. We've added this whole new vocabulary uh, to our language. Well, when you get saved, you ought to adopt a whole new vocabulary. When you get saved, you ought to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. And this is what James is saying here in verse 15. You ought to say this, if the Lord will. See, that ought to be something that is implemented into our vocabulary and the way that we speak. Hey, Lord willing. Lord willing, these are my plans. And so, yeah, make, make the uh, intelligent plan and plan for your future and, and make godly decisions. But, hey, uh, make sure that you include that phrase, Lord willing. If it's the Lord's will, hey, if God wants me to do this, because what we're doing is we're acknowledging, hey, I want to align my will with God's will. I want to surrender my will to God's will, Lord willing. Uh, Psalm 19, verse number 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And so we ought to say, uh, if the Lord will. And so we ought to change our vocabulary, but we also need to redirect our confidence redirect our confidence because in verse number 16 it says this but now you rejoice in your boastings all such rejoicing is evil and so to boast about your plans and to brag about your future is unwise James says this is a kind of self-confidence and arrogance that is that is evil James says Proverbs chapter 27 verse number one says boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may be bring, what a day may bring forth I love this quote by A.W. Tozer he said this if I see a right 
the cross of popular evangelicalism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a new bright ornament upon the bosom of a self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned. The new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. Hey, if we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to say, you know what? It's not about what I can do. It's not about my great plan. It's not about my great strategy. But Lord willing, I want to pursue God's plan for my life. And it's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to bring about change. Not about self-confidence, but about God-confidence. And I love that quote by A.W. Tozer because I don't want to have a church that is just comfortable to sit back and say, hey, I want to be entertained. No, I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. I don't want to just be amused. I want to be amazed at the power of God. I don't want to just sit back and and say, hey, 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 entertain me and bring on a show. No, I want to contribute to the calling that God has placed on my life. And I want to uh, pursue that calling as a church collectively walking in unity. And so we can't rejoice in self-confidence. We have to have a God dependence as a church. And and then if we're going to if we're going to do this, we have to change our vocabulary. We have to redirect our confidence. And then we have to do this. We have to do what we know to do. We have to do what we know to do. Now, that might sound obvious, but notice what James says in verse 17. He says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To sin means to miss the mark. And there are sins of commission. Those are things that we do that we shouldn't do. And then there are sins of omission. Those are things that we should do, but we don't do them. And James says, hey, you have to make sure that you are doing what you know to do, what's revealed to you in God's word. I think the classic example of this is the story of the Good Samaritan. You see the priest coming down the hill, down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He sees uh, the, the Samaritan laying on the side of the road. And what does the Bible say? He passed him to the other side. He knew to do good, but he didn't do it. And then came the Levite. The Levite was kind of like the junior varsity priest. The Levite was well-versed in the Old Testament law. He knew that the Old Testament law said that if your neighbor uh, has a donkey that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, you are to help your neighbor get that donkey out of the ditch. He knew better, the Levite. But what does the Bible say he did? He passed him to the other side. See, they knew what they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it. I wonder today, what is God calling you to do where you've passed unto the other side? I wonder what is God asking you to step out and follow him in obedience, but we've stepped out to the other side. James says, hey, what you know to do, you ought to do. Do what you know to do. I want to encourage you today to seek God first in your decision-making process. Hey, let's be a church that wants to honor God with the plans that we have. When we're making a big decision and when we're considering our future, that we uh, get counsel, we talk to the pastor, we go uh, to God in prayer, and we seek God in this process. I was reading not too long ago uh, a story about Walt Disney, and Walt Disney has always fascinated me and just his creative mind and, and the vision that he had for his parks and for his movies. And I read an interesting story where one of his animators was working on the movie Snow White. And the animator's name was Ward Kimball. And he recalls this story, Ward Kimball, where he was working on a specific scene for the movie Snow White. And he was working on that scene for 240 days. And this one scene was only four minutes long. And so he he gave uh, 240 days of his life working on this four-minute scene. And the scene was where the dwarfs came in and they were making soup for Snow White and they destroyed the whole kitchen in the process. And Ward Kimball was excited to show Walt Disney, so he brought him in. They watched the scene together and Walt Disney laughed and he thought it was funny. 
but he thought that the scene interrupted the flow of the movie, and so they decided to cut the scene. And uh, all of those days, 240 days of working on that scene for a four-minute scene, uh, Walt Disney said, I think it's funny, and I think it's good, but it's not best. See, in your life and in my life, sometimes the decisions that we have to make are not even between good and bad. Sometimes the decisions that we have to make are between good and best, and we have to include God in our decision-making process because he has the best plan for your life. He has a good plan for your life. He has abundant life for you, and we have to recognize that we have to have the kind of discernment that knows how to not just choose between good and bad, but between good and best, and to sacrifice something good because we are pursuing the best plan for our life found in the will of God and by the word of God. Psalm 32 says this in verse number eight, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Today, maybe you are watching this and maybe you are somewhat new. Maybe a friend or family member or neighbor invited you and shared this link with you and you decided to tune in and you're trying to figure all this out. And I just want to speak to you for a moment because I think that the message that James is communicating in these verses is so relevant and so important for you because James says, what is your life? It's but a vapor. Life is so short. Life is so fragile. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And I just want to ask, if you were to die in this moment, God forbid, would you know where you would spend eternity? Would you know that you have a home in heaven forever? Or do you know? See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it really doesn't matter what plans we make here on earth if we don't have a home settled in heaven. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can know that you have a home in heaven and you can know that you are saved by the grace of God. It's not about religion. See, religion wants to tell you you have to do this and do this and do that if you want to get to heaven. Jesus said it's already been done on the cross. It is finished. See, Jesus died in our place so that we could have a home in heaven forever. It's not about works. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he has saved us. And so today I wonder, have you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ into your life? Do you have a real relationship with God only through his son, Jesus Christ? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Today it's not about works and religion and these supplementary things. It's only through Jesus Christ. And today I want to give you an opportunity to pray and invite Jesus into your life today. I want to give you an opportunity to accept the free gift of salvation. And so you can know today beyond a shadow of a doubt where you would spend all of eternity. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to close our time together online in a word of prayer. And I'm just going to lead in a salvation prayer. And if you're watching today and you're just struggling, or maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you, or maybe there's something missing in your life and you're thinking, man, I've never accepted Christ. I've never been saved. I would encourage you there at home or wherever you're watching, if you're driving in a car, you're listening later on a podcast, I would encourage you right now, you can pray and you can invite Jesus into your life and you can have a home in heaven. So I'm gonna lead in this prayer and I would encourage you, you can pray with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins in my place. And God, today I want to turn from my sin and I want to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and I believe that Jesus rose again from the grave three days later. And today, I'm placing my faith in Jesus and accepting him as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the promise of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.